very nice. You're about to go on tour. I am, yeah. It's your first tour? It's my first tour. Are it you is excited? My first, I'm very excited about it, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Where do you stay when you do stuff like that? Do you stay in hotels or do you oh, email out and ask people? It's glamorous. It's really, really glamorous. I get those notifications of £19 rooms in various lodges around the country and I stay in those sort of places. The sort of place where you walk in you're immediately hit by the smell of dead hooker or drunk trucker. It's that sort of place. But I know some comedians who will just put emails out, you know, on their mailing list and say What to friends? Put me up. No more like Oh God no. I hate that. (laughs) Don't you hate going to people's houses and staying there? I do that every now and again but I'm really awkward and I'd much rather just sit in my gym jams in some horrible little travel slodge somewhere on my own than be in somebody's house where they go, just make yourself at home. And you just go, no, I can't make myself at home because what I do at home probably is highly inappropriate for these four walls. If I made myself at home, the police might be at the door. I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, the world's best stand-up comedians get serious about comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. I was really surprised that this was your first tour. Yes. Because your first solo Edinburgh show was only like three years ago. Three years ago, ago I've done it? three, yeah. Yeah, which for some reason I always thought of you as a kind of more... Veteran? Yeah, I guess yeah, like... Be older, you were thinking. You've no, been no, around no. for ages, <laughs> you were thinking. Oh, gosh, you've been around for ages. Not at all, like nothing to do with how old you are, but just, I don't know, I just sort of assumed that you... I think going there, I think I've done six or seven Edinburghs in a row where I've only done three solo shows, but I did, I think, three or four where I went up as part of, you know, like a compilation show and then I did a sketch show and then I did other little things so I sort of popped up but you got into comedy not that long before I started 2004 six and a half seven years ago so 2003 it'll be this right yeah. which yeah. is relatively recently it is relatively re- yeah I was slow I'm like the Thora herd of the comedy world what were you doing before that I was mucking about I was procrastinating like a mofo is what I was doing before that. I was waiting. I'd went to drama school and I'd done all sorts of rubbish. I'd gone to university, I'd studied psychology, realised that wasn't for me. And then I did a bit of waitressing. Then I went travelling around Australia and I went to the banana farm and then I ended up in London. I went to drama school. I really enjoyed that, but, you know, it just went the way of most drama students. We ended up, you know, slinging plates again for a living. Did you want to be an actress? I did before I went to drama school. Then during and after drama school, I thought, I don't actually know if this is for me. I never felt particularly comfortable in that world. It was very frustrating. I think that was the thing with acting as well. You're just so reliant on other people giving you the work. And with stand-up, it's just so much more self-propelled. So you think, I want to do this. You can do that. Whereas, you know, with acting, you're waiting for somebody to go, you'll face that product, you'll face that part. And it's my face didn't fit a lot of products or parts, I'll be honest. But before you ever did stand-up, mm. you were on TV. I, I, yes, my greatest work to date, I think you'll find. You were on, which I was amazed when I found this out, and I've told other people since then, yeah. like, no, I never knew this. Yeah. You were on the first series of Survivor. I did the first series of Survivor. Which was kind of one of the original. It was one of the original ones, yeah. If I... I knew nothing about reality TV when I did it. I think I'd had one series of Big Brother, and then this came out. And this had been huge in the States. I had an American friend told me about it. And I was at work one day, bored out of my head, 
And I picked up the newspaper and there was an application form. Did you want to be on the reality? And I was like, do you know what? I'm bored and I reckon I can send off an application form and I reckon I can get an interview. And I did. And then I thought, I reckon once I've got an interview, I reckon I can get another interview. And I did, and it kept sort of spinning out of control. And before I knew it, I was on a plane to Borneo going, well, that was a practical joke that went a bit too far. In the interviews, did you like do anything to make yourself I hand it up properly. I sold myself hot. I thought, well, they'll have a fat one. They'll have a bully. They'll have, you know, a showy-offy one. They'll have that. I played the quirky lesbian. I thought, that I'll tick those two boxes. I'm going to be the, hey, 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 you know. So what did you do? I I sent up. <laughs> I sort of filled out the application form and I didn't say I was gay in the application form, but I made it clear that, that perhaps. And then I sent them a fairly glamorous photograph of me, just for them to... Cause I, you know how people's heads work. People are really stupid, and you can read them quite... Well, that's a generalisation, but, you know, these things I'm pretty good at. So I thought, I bet, I bet they're just a little bit intrigued if I send a reasonably nice... I had one of those sort of headshots that you have when you're at drama school where you looked all fluffy-haired and slightly tousled, you know, and then sent an application form that said, you know, I'd worked on banana farms and then, and uh, da 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 and mentioned my girlfriend. But not, nothing too overt. But everything I'd dropped in as a clue, they'd circled in the application form when I'd gone for the interview. And I was like, you people are just so predictable. Because I just thought, I bet I can get on, and I did. What was it like? Because, you know, it, it's it kind was... of portrayed as we're properly in the jungle and it's back to base. But then you always wonder, do you actually sneak off to like another... Oh, no. It was proper hard. Was it? It was proper... And I lied horribly about my level of fitness. I mean, we did have a medical and everything before we went, but actually I had food poisoning on the day of the medical, so that's why I was able to say I wasn't wasn't up to scratch. And they were like, oh, don't worry, I'm terribly sorry, but I've had oysters and I feel incredibly ill. So I kind of sailed through the medical... I completely lied about my level of fitness. I got there and then realised it was going to be a lot harder than I anticipated. Did you do anything to prepare? I realised that I probably wouldn't be able to get to a level of fitness that would make much difference in the two months between... Oh, I think it was about a month between finding out I was going and going. So instead, I got fat. I just really tanked up on food because I thought if it's going to be hard and there's not going to be a lot of food, I'm going to really tank up. And I put on about two stone. <laughs> but did it work? Yeah, bloated out. Because it was incredibly demanding physically. Incre- I was eight and a half stone when I got home. Oh my goodness. I was eight and a half stone. I was really, really thin. Was that a bit fun? F- for a month. I tell you, it was weird because obviously there's no mirrors. You don't see yourself in a mirror for a month. Um, and you're not supposed to talk to the production team. But every now and again, one of the women behind the camera would go, you're, you're really thin now. And I go, am I? Really? Does it look okay? Do I look good? Do I look good? Do I, Do I look good? I had really little thin arms. Like a sort of, I was like, that was great. But the first time I saw myself in a mirror, I actually looked up and went, oh, sorry. Oh, my God, it's me. I apologised to myself. I didn't recognise myself. Wow. It was really weird. Amazing experiment. It was really strange. It was really strange. But harder than the food, lack of food... And it was bugger all food. It was just being with other people for a month on an island. Was John Paul Sartre was right? Hell is other people. You got down to the final six. You were there for like I was there for yeah over a month, about thirty four nights. I survived Mm. something like that. Yeah, I nearly went bonkers. At one point, I actually started because I got down to the last six. It started with sixteen, and there was a million quid prize money as well. So I I went into this thing as a joke, and I thought I'm not going to get anywhere. And then as I got closer and closer to the money, 
with more and more food and sleep deprivation, you start to go a bit doolally. And at one point, I was lying there at night and I, I could quite clearly hear voices that I knew weren't there. Really? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. What were they saying? Just whispering. Just whispering. It was like, oh, I've started to go mad. I've started to go mad. Whoa. It was quite interesting. At least I knew I had. So I was able to kind of go, okay, this is happening. We'll just keep an eye on it. And then I think I got voted off the next day. So I was like, oh, that was that was quite a close shave. But it was literally, it was like, got all hearing this whisper. Oh, my God. It was really oh my odd. God. And, you know, did you have to eat weird stuff? I ate rat. Whoa. Yeah. How was rat? Really nasty. Really nasty. Was it a challenge? or No, it wasn't a challenge. The thing is, the pl- it was a godforsaken, horrible pit of an island that sent us to. And uh, it was covered in rats at night, nocturnal rats. And they just, they'd warned us there would be rats. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I live in London. You're never more than three foot from one, are you? Hey, you know, pounding on us. When I got there, I went, oh, my God, they weren't joking. It was carpeted in rat. They were, you'd wake up in the night, there'd be one on your head. It was just hot. You'd wake up and you'd go, you nibbling my finger. And it was rats nibbling your fingers. Oh, God. It was really nasty. So they were actually so easy to kill because there was just so many of them. It was like in that scene in Star Trek where they've got those at the Furbies or whatever the fur- Yeah, it was like that. So it's there's not a lot of eating on a rat, though, I'll be honest with really? you. Really? No, it's, I mean, there's a lot of effort involved for skinning it with not a lot of reward. It's more of a canapé. It's an hors d'oeuvre. It's an hors d'oeuvre for the sort of Neanderthals, that's what it is. And how did you find the killing of... I wasn't particularly good at killing the rats because you had to kill them with a stick and they did make a squeak and a splodge, oh my God. which isn't very nice. It's like, eep! And it's, so it's like, oh, that's oh, nasty. Um, I was better at killing stingrays. I learned how to fish for stingrays. Wow! So I killed stingrays. How did you do that? At one point they gave us a spear and goggles and flippers and uh, they went, go on then. Oh, like, oh, God. And... There weren't a lot of fish in this particular part of the ocean we were in either. I think a bit of the reef had died the year before, so it was a bit sparse. But there were stingrays, but they're quite, they, they lie on the bottom, so you have to swim like 20 feet down. And you look for the two little eyes. All you can see is two little, you learn to see the two little eyes on, on the bottom. And then you stab sort of about two inches behind that. Wow. And then you swim into it, and you have to swim into it with force so that it goes down the spear, and then you swim out with it. Wow. And then what does the stingray taste like? Better. Yeah? Yeah. Or better than yeah, rat? Yeah, better than rat. <laughs> better than rat. But I feel like all of these... I'm kind of always semi-preparing for Armageddon, and I feel like all of these are great skills to have. Do you know what? Yeah, I did surprise myself. I wasn't the fastest runner. I was pathetic at a lot of things. I was truly atrocious. But I managed to talk my way out of a lot of of holes and I managed to sort of you know learn how to fish and use that as a skill that was required for the tribe so do you think it made a difference to your life like do you think you properly learned stuff oh yeah yeah I do it's I learned an awful lot about myself and I, I am one of life's plodders and I will slowly but surely plod along and get very close to the end if not win the prize but I will, I will survive for quite a long time. You got down to the final six. Yes. Yeah. And actually, you were up against the girl that won, weren't you? On yes, your... Charlotte. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you were neck and neck. Yeah. She had two things over me. She was a bit slutty, which always helps in those sort of environments. Did she? I read somewhere, and I don't know if it was her, but that someone sex had sex. Sex of a palm tree. Yeah, someone actually had sex. That'll exfoliate they... your back, <laughs> won't it? <laughs> Did she? Apparently. Appar- I couldn't possibly say. Allegedly. Right. Allegedly. 
Um, but she was certainly more popular with the boys than I was. Right. Uh, and, and, and in those sort of Armageddon-type environments, that's always a bit of an advantage. That would be my advice to people. If the end of the world comes, just let your morals slip a bit. <laughs> just do it with anything. And she was also incredibly fit, incredibly fit. I had to race against her at one point. It was just the most embarrassing experience of my life. We had to run across this thing and run, like swing on this rope across a gorge, and she did it majestically, you know. And I sort of grabbed the rope, slid down it, and smacked into the side of this wall of this, and winded myself like a primary school child, just lay there going, oh, I, I, uh, uh, <laughs> while the whole film crew just <laughs> wet themselves laughing. It was truly pathetic. It was pathetic. Do you ever think, imagine if I'd won that and they didn't quit? Because like, mm. you started doing stand-up after that. I did that afterwards. Do you think that you'd still be doing it, or do you think you'd be... I don't know. You like to think you would still challenge yourself. On the other hand, you like to think, perhaps I'd just buy a mountain of beer, fags and kebabs, and sit on my fat ass, never having to pay rent again. There is always that option. Yeah, I don't know. I wasn't that disappointed that I didn't win. Let's put it that way. I thought, well, there'd be something else. It's been fun. I did really well, and... um I'd have been horrified if I had ended up in a, just sat on boxes of beer in my two-bedroom flat I'd bought somewhere going, well, that's me life sorted. Because sometimes I do lack motivation. And you just think, you know, you've got to keep going in life. So how did you get into stand-up then? How did you start doing it? I, I, I got to the age of 30, 31. I was still slinging plates. And I just thought to myself, this is not how I envisage my life to be. And I'd always loved stand-up, and I loved watching stand-up, and I'd loved comedy. And I'd always harboured for many years. I'd mentioned it sort of seven years previous, eight years that I wanted to do stand-up, and then never did it because I was too frightened. And what would I say? And, you know, how would I go about it? And all the usual things. And then just literally one day I went, oh, no, I've got to give this a go because the alternative is far too depressing. And I booked myself in to do five minutes at the King's Head up in Crouch End. It was utter rubbish. Really? It, oh, it was rubbish. What was your material? Uh, do you know what the material was about? Because it was about the war was going on at the time and they were sexing up that dossier of the 45 minutes, weapons of mass destruction. And I did some stupid piece about Mills and Boone sexing up an Iraqi dossier on weapons of mass destruction. That sounds quite good. He, he strode in with his throbbing missile, that sort of thing. And, um, and then I can't remember what else I did. I can't remember. I did five minutes and I felt... Just an incredible sense of utter relief that I'd done a gig. And presumably it went well. It went reasonably well. I got offered another gig. That went all right. And then within months I was doing like three or four a night on the open mic circuit in, in London. How does that work? Do they come to you or do you have to go to you them? You go to them. Right. And, and, you know, when you knew it, it's like you go to them and they're like, how many gigs you done? You're like, well, you've done about four. But you go, 60, 65? 70-ish, about the 70 mark now, yeah. Because you were doing it full time, like pretty Pretty quickly. quickly. Yeah. Did that mean you ever doing sort of weird gigs? I've done some very strange gigs. Have you? What like? Ones where you turn up and you, you're the only one on, and there's no compare, and you're stood by the pool table, and they just give you a roaming mic, and you just stand there and just drinkers in the pub just looking at you like you're crazy. Um, they just go. Some bloke goes right comedy, turns on your mic, and you go, "Hello, everybody. Oh, nice to be here. Really lovely to be here." This is not how I imagined it would be, but never go over here. Um, Didn't you? I heard one that you'd done that was some fashion thing. Oh my god, that was one of the worst deaths of my life. What was it? It was oh my friend, my very good friend Aisha Hazarika, who uh, used to do stand up and now is Harriet Harman's right hand lady and very good friend of mine, was booked to do a Bangladeshi 
evening in Bradford, right? And it was, <laughs> it was, um, it was. She was going to do twenty minutes of material in between a display of Bangladeshi wedding gear um, in front of two hundred Bangladeshi women and children. She very wisely pulled out of the gig at the last minute. I stupidly was doing a gig in Chester, which is quite close to Bradford. My agent phoned me and said, do you want to do it? I went, why not? Sounds fun. It was the most horrific death I think I've ever had in my entire life. 200 children just looking at me like... Uh, it was just awful. It was. I think I was due to do about 20 minutes. I think I sort of scraped through to about 10 and went, shall I just... I'll go. Shall I? Shall we go? Shall we? Shall we just... You carry on with the Reading Parade. Let's just go. <laughs> did anyone laugh? No, was... it was just... At one point, the promoter just walked in front of the stage and did that sign that you do where you run your hand across your neck, like, get off. You're dying. Wow. And my mum would actually come with me. She was in the car outside. And I ran out of the venue and dove into the front seat and just went, Drive! 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 Just keep going! Was it all right, love? I went, just don't turn back! Just go! 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 Put your foot down, woman! It was awful. And when you have deaths like that, and I've had a few... I've been booed off before. That's horrific. Where were you booed off? Guildfest, which is a guild, it's a festival for idiots. It's a festival for middle-class morons who can't stand Glastonbury anymore because there's not a waitrose close by. That's how I feel about Guildfest. It's just, oh, horrible people. As it wasn't their fault. It's not Guildford's fault. I'm sorry, Guildford. I'm just taking it out on you. It was my fault. I was booked to do half an hour. I'd only been going about a year. I probably had a 10 minutes of material and a half hour you've got a lot of padding to do there I was like I'll deal with it when it happens well it just didn't happen at all and then they started to look at me like she hasn't a clue what she's doing does she and then somebody booed but really half-heartedly so I made them do it all with enthusiasm before I left but that's good I always think when people when I've seen people I mean late in live kind of late night comedies and things in Edinburgh when people kind of sh- just shamble off the stage, because Shuffle they really off. like take their. Come on! <laughs> if I'm going down, I'm going down the blaze of glory. Exactly. Come on! How bad am I? Really bad. <laughs> Tell me how bad I am. I want to hear how bad I am. I always have a lot more respect for those yeah. sorts of people. But then I sort of I walked off with a, with an element of yeah, how bad, and then got to the side and went, oh, oh, oh god. And then you have flashbacks to deaths. Like for weeks afterwards, you can close your eyes and you'll still see vividly the image in your face of the man in the front row looking at you like you've just crapped on his chips you know it's just but then I would think it would be good in that you know like before you first get your heart broken you're terrified of relationships because you think what if I get my heart broken yeah. and then you get your heart broken and it sucks but it's yeah. alright and so in that same way in that same way yeah it doesn't hurt quite so much it still hurts but clearly you were doing pretty well because you very quickly went on to win the funny women competition yeah yeah Cheated, um, obviously. Roofied everybody else's water. Right. Yeah, I was the only one that managed to clamber up on the stage. It's a tough business. You've got to take matters into your own hands. Roofie those bitches. But that's a great competition. There's loads of good people. Sarah Millican, yeah. Pepper Evans. You were up uh, Bridget Christie was yes. in your round yeah. as well. And then in the same year, you were in the final of So You Think You're Funny. Yes. Was that the first time you'd been to Edinburgh? First time I'd been to Edinburgh to do comedy. And yeah. so then, as you said, you kind of went up and did other bits mm. and did... But then your first solo show was in 2007. 2007, yeah. And you got nominated for the Best Newcomer for yeah, Edinburgh Yeah, very nice. That was a lovely moment, actually. Was it? Really genuinely was. I know people go, oh, it don't matter. But actually, it really did matter to me. It really... I shed a tear of delight when I heard that, so I was really pleased. Did it make a difference to things? Yes, it did. I mean, you know, obviously it's a really lovely accolade and it's very well known within the industry, so yes, it does make a difference. Then you start to get better gigs. And you, I think you just boosted my confidence as well, so the whole thing's cyclic. And then the next award that you got was a weird one. Mm. And strangely controversial in that it was the inaugural 
Dave Channel, which is now quite famous. Yeah. The Dave Channel best joke of the fringe. Yeah, that was 2008 I got that. Yeah, yeah. And for this... My Amy Winehouse joke. Yeah. Yeah, it splits a room. Which so, is... Well, the joke being, I do a bit about Amy Winehouse. I said, that woman annoys me so much. I don't know why she has to self-harm. I can't believe she can't find somebody to do it for her. Now, people got a bit, you know, it does split a room. It's one of the, But it is a joke about Amy Winehouse. It's not a joke about self-harm. It is just a joke. and So do people one, genuinely get offended? Up. Oh, people it. got really offended. Yeah, people got really offended. Did they? Yeah, I had a lot of emails of complaint from self-harmers as they bashed themselves over their head with a keyboard. And I was like, they were like, you've obviously got no idea what it's like to have a mental illness. And I'm like, come on, everybody does. Everybody knows somebody's got a mental illness. Most people have experienced some form of mental illness during their lives. I hear voices. You know, I suffered from agoraphobia when I was in my teens. Panic attacks, awful things. And it's a form of mental illness. And I got, I got really angry. Do you think? <laughs> probably not the best form of the It's <laughs> right back and even more. Oh, shut up. That's not going to help that no, situation. No, it's not, probably not going to help that situation. <laughs> Do you think... That you got more crap because you're a lady. Do you think that people were tough because on of that you? joke? Yeah, that joke in particular, that because it's sort of something about vulnerable people. And do you think that people would be like, but surely you should be more sensitive? Yes. Because- yeah, which is bullshit, really, isn't it? When you think about it, it's just rubbish. It's um, Jermaine Greer picked up on it and you described it, as- incited her wrath. Oh, isn't that wonderful? In what was it in the Guardian? And uh, she wrote a piece basically about why women aren't funny. Thanks, Jermaine. Like it ain't hard enough without you sticking your witch's tit in. Thank you so much, love. She wrote a horrible piece, and she mentioned in the piece about Joan Rivers and myself having a style of humour that some would describe as astonishingly vicious, which of course I took out of the the piece, putting quotes and stuck on my poster. Thanks ever so much, Jermaine, for that one. But she said that she was a joke. That joke in particular was one that most women would find unfunny and it's like that's simply not true it's simply not true and it's incredibly unfeminist to stick words in other women's mouths but also wasn't she kind of implying oh women are such bitches against women yeah if you women. have to be bitchy if you're going to it's, it was the sort of underlying cheap core of the piece was oh women have to rely on being bitchy if they're being funny if a bloke takes the mickey out of another bloke he's being blokey if a woman takes the mickey out of another woman she's being bitchy and how dare she doesn't she know what it's like to be a little vulnerable woman you're like oh grow up Jermaine but also the fact that it was clearly like a one line joke it's a one line joke (laughs) about my level of irritation with an A-list celebrity that was it Um, so you did you did some TV bits you did Mock the Week. We've yeah. had quite a lot of people on this podcast who've done that and I'm always interested to know people's thoughts because they tend to be very extreme one way or the other. When you do Mock the Week, it's a little bit like having a hairdo from Sweeney Todd. You know you're going to get cut bad. It's The first time I did it, I was incredibly nervous, actually. I was really nervous because it's quite an intimidating arena. Um, the second time, less nervous. I mean, it's a great show. It's got a huge viewership. It's very funny. It does produce some very funny material. I don't entirely agree with the way they put it together. I don't entirely agree with the way that they treat the guests on the show. What do you mean? Well, it is a real bun fight. It really is, you know, and I am not the world's greatest competitor. I'm not a very competitive person, and some people respond well in that sort of situation. I don't particularly. I prefer it if it was a little bit more open. But then when you do a show like that, you know the beast you're getting involved with so you sort of step up to the mark you know you just kind of go well I'll put that to the back burner and did but, you did you toughen yourself up did yeah you a little bit you've got it's all smoke and mirrors this isn't it some, it's something like, hey you know woohoo look at me alpha girl yeah crying <laughs> I think I work better under different circumstances 
but like I say, you, you yeah. know... The but you seem to hold your own. Yeah. I was holding my own all through that show, but you couldn't really see because the desk was quite high. But it made me feel more comfortable just holding my own. <laughs> so uh, you're going on this tour then and you're doing stuff in the UK. Are you going to New Zealand as well? I am going to New Zealand. How exciting. Yeah. I was very exciting. I was there not so long ago. I went to do the Christmas tour, which is really sweet. Wow. They are the nicest people on earth. Are they? They really are the sweetest people. And um, crew that organised the comedy out there are just a delight. And they flew me all the way out to New Zealand. I don't know if you have been to New Zealand. It's a hell of a long way. It's, like, really far. I can't even express how far it is when you're on the plane. I had a deep vein thrombosis balaclava on for that journey because I just thought it's not going to just be my legs that get clots during this. And I was sat by a man with the most horrific BO. I actually had a stroke. It was that bad. Anyway, it's a long way. And I went to do this show in December and I was doing a TV show over there as well. They were doing the Christmas TV gala show. And I got all the way to New Zealand and I said, how long do you want me to do? And they went, about seven minutes. I was like, are you serious? Can I even do a minute for each thousand miles? I've only got to do 12 minutes. Can I? Seven minutes. I wow. And it was, lo- but they were lovely, lovely, lovely people. And then, of course, I went out and did the tour with them as well, and that was nice. Okay, so the dates for all of your UK shows are all up on your website. They are. They should be. It's my responsibility to get them there. Yes. Probably haven't done it, but yeah, they should be there. <laughs> and you start at the end of the month? I start 20th of February in Leicester. And your website is? www.zoelions.co.uk. Which is spelled L-Y. L-Y. Zoe, thanks for coming up. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes, Yes, marsha.com forward slash off the mic.